Hello listeners, before we start today's episode, I want to tell you where I am in my journey. I want to begin by acknowledging we just commemorated 20 years since 9-11, a time of collective trauma. I was a mother of a four-month-old baby girl, and each middle-of-the-night feeding, I was captivated by the news footage, and I cried. I couldn't stop watching it. As I looked down at my nursing baby and thought, how am I going to raise a child in a world like this? My tears were dropping on her tiny cheeks, and little did I know I was passing my trauma of those tragic events through my body and tears onto her. I'm just recently understanding how trauma and the body are connected. I will be speaking more about this and more episodes to come, and more about healing individually and collectively. There have been forms of collective trauma in each generation. Each generation experiences some type of trauma. There are people groups who experience trauma generation after generation after generation. My prayer is we get to a point where empathy for one another's story is the norm and doing the work of healing becomes more and more accepted. I want you to know the more healing work I do, the more I know that you are my people. I'm hearing more and more stories about people being hurt by the church or what is considered spiritual abuse. And I want you to know you're not alone. As I've mentioned in a few of my episodes, I've experienced it too, and I'm with you. As some of you know, I host another podcast titled Mama Take Heart, Understanding Your Gen Z Girl. I also want you to know that I've been accepted into a year-long narrative trauma-focused therapy cohort at the Allender Center through the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. I'll be participating in the cohort online. As I'm sharing my story, I'm realizing how difficult it is, or I should say, as I've been writing parts of my story, I'm realizing how difficult it is. So please continue to be patient with me as I sort through it. Needless to say, I have a lot going on. But I'm committed to getting out content on this podcast because I think it's important to have these conversations in an honorable and respectful way, whether we agree with each other or not. I also think it's important to talk about spiritual abuse and to name it, to talk about the trauma and also to show the healing that's on the other side. I'll do my best to get content out, and I'm hopeful I can get back to the bi-weekly format, at least until the holidays. I'm also getting the private Facebook group up and running so we can discuss the topics of conversation. And I hope to have some of my guests pop in now and then to contribute to the discussion. I wanted to say to the listeners of this podcast, well, first, thank you for your patience and to show my uh, gratitude to Two of my loyal listeners, you will receive a giveaway box. So to participate in the giveaway, follow my Instagram at Robrina Rettle. Tell me your favorite episode and tag two friends. Now, this giveaway is only open to the listeners in the U.S., but if you're an international listener, I haven't forgotten about you. Stay tuned to future episodes because I'm going to do something special for you, too. I thank you again, treasured friends. I want you to know you are seen, you are heard and you are loved. That's in Ephesians 2, 14. Mm -hmm. 
He breaks down the dividing wall of hostility, mm. abolishing, making it so we can be reconciled. And reconciled people can now reconcile other people. Yes. That's the power. And I really believe the power of the diversity, the power in diversity, is going to be the thing that brings people to the cross. We need you to bring more Black people. We like John, but we are afraid you're more like family. The whole reason why we exist is to share the gospel with our neighbor. And if we're not doing that, then close your church down. Mm. Go home. Mm -hmm. I mean, or just say I'm going to have a party. Or don't call yourself the church, though. The reason why we want to talk to you is because our people have come from here. We don't know where, but our people came from Africa. We will never forget Africa. Mm. We will always have Africa in our name. Mm. Say African-American. That's the reason we don't want to ever forget where our people came from, and they might be yours. Getting Real, Immersed in Truth, Intersecting Hard Conversations with the Gospel. We seek and speak the truth about what's going on around us. Today, we're talking about diverse missionaries. Joining me today is Rhonda Tyson. Rhonda is founder and executive director of 1040 Africa Missions, whose mission is to spread the gospel in areas of Africa where there is the least exposure to the love of Jesus by inspiring people of color to join in sharing the good news. Rhonda has been involved in missions for over 20 years. She is a wife of 32 years and a grandmother and a very young looking grandmother, just so you know. <laughs> She's also a trauma healing group facilitator, a biblical counselor and a chaplain with Marketplace Chaplains. She also sings on the worship team in her local church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Welcome, sis, and thanks for joining me today. Hello, it is so wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, Rhonda and I met in an online generational trauma healing group that focused on healing racial wounds. And if you listen to my last uh, episode, Getting Real About Being Okay With Taking a Break, I mentioned Rhonda as one of the ladies who met us in Tulsa when we stopped to visit the Greenwood District where the Tulsa massacre occurred. Rhonda met us for lunch and we had some good old soul food and cabinets and some greens. Yeah, the, the real stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right, Rhonda, so uh, let's talk about missionaries because to be honest, I didn't learn much about black or people of color missionaries. And um, as I was doing a little bit of research for a girl's class that I was going to have my, my girls write a little mini book report on uh, a girl missionary, uh, I had realized 
I could not find books about anyone black. <laughs> yeah. Or, or yeah. other, you know, persons of color. And so I mm-hmm. thought to myself, there had to be some. There had, just had to be. And so I just want to tell you the first one that I found was uh, George. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's L-I-E-L-E. I think it's Leo who was a slave, and he is the first recorded in the United States. He was ordained to be the first Baptist to go on a missionary to another land, which was in Jamaica. Yeah, you know, what is interesting, I've been involved with different mobilization projects, and one of them is the Perspectives of the World Christian Movement. Mm. And they have, it's a wonderful mobilization class or a missions class, because it's talking about the world Christian movement, starts from the biblical, goes to what has happened in history, Mm. and then it goes into cultural, and then it goes into strategic. Mm. Well, when when they get to the history section, it always hits a nerve with me. As we watch it, it has always been, uh, as we've gone through it, they never included any person of color in that getting better now and they're having more we have more african-american people who are and people of color who are actually able to present the material but i will say this sometimes that i was when i shared it with somebody else that was organizing the course now this is a 15 uh week course i mean it's like it's a full semester Mm-hmm. class. And they bring in instructors from all over, the, sometimes all over the world, but definitely there's a different instructor for each lesson. And so I, int- I asked them, can you include some of the African-American or people of color? And, they, and then they said, well, how about you teach that one? And I was not feeling very comfortable with that. And I said, you know what, I will teach every one of them, any one of them, except that one. And because I don't want it to be discounted. Right. Now, what what they, I don't think they understood what I was trying to say, because what I don't want it to do is be, okay, she's just including the Black woman because she's Black. Exactly. I want them, it, 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 it almost gets discounted mm-hmm. when you do that. So my, my hope was that they were just included in the material. It needs to be written in the black and white on the page mm-hmm. so that it's not some extra thing that we pulled in because, you know, it suits us. But it's because it's true. It's valid. Because it's, it's real. History. Yeah, it is history. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry. I, that, that's a tangent. That oh, that's fine. That's yeah. actually true. This is uh, one thing I have to say for listeners. If you want, if you're an ally, you may already know this. And when I say an ally, that is a person who advocates for equitable circumstances, situations, humanity, the treatment of people of color to be treated as humans, as everyone else. But the one thing you do not want to do is put a person of color in the situation where they have to solve the problem. It's not, it, it should not be that 
okay, you're the one who sees the problem. So here, I'm going to put you on this committee or I'm going to have you teach this so that you can, you can help solve the problem. But it's not really our job to solve the problem. We see the problem, but we're not the fixer of the problem. You're the fixer of the problem. And so <laughs> I would encourage to want to take it on. It's no different than wanting to learn about anything else. Just have right. a desire to want to take it on and to learn about it, yeah. Because it's it's the truth. If you believe it, if you believe it, then it's true, and it's true, then you share it. That's it. Yes, and that it is an incorporation. It's not something that is just taught for any. This is for anything. You don't just teach it during Black History Month. This is an incorporation of the history of the Americas that should be included and integrated just as any other historical events. Okay. Exactly. Yes. yes. For that. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you know what? It does make sense. Now that you, you said that to me, it does make sense for people who go through this type of classes or teaching for them to have a misunderstanding about missions and people of color. Yeah, because that takes me into, sorry, that takes me into, you know, the whole idea of why we even started 1040 Africa Missions. When I go to this specific area of the world, they feel like Christianity is the white man's religion. Mm -hmm. I've heard that before. And so, and, and they, and it's, it really bothers me because we know that it's not. If you look at Black people in America, we, we are 80% Christian, mm. That's right. like 80%, okay? And white people, okay, are, let's see, I think they're at um, 69%. So, but we're, we're more Christian, I'm just going to say, as a people. As a we're people. more Christian, mm -hmm. but we are not represented that way mm. uh, when we go when we get into the area of missions. Mm -hmm. When we get into the area of missions, the people in this particular part of Africa only see white people mm -hmm. bringing the gospel. Mm -hmm. and, and, they've got, and we've got a, a history, there's a history there of colonialism, of slave trade. I mean, some in some of these places, the slave houses still stand today. Mm -hmm. I've been in them, mm -hmm. you know? And so they have in recent memory, in my mom's day, my mother, I mean, these people were only given independence or only got their independence in the 60s. Mm -hmm. wow. So when people say, I, I, I even talked to a French missionary in one of these countries, and we asked them about what did they think about, you know, the ideas of the people in colonialism. Did that have any, did that, did that, what did he think about it or whatever? And he said, that was a long time ago. Wow. People need to get over that and be responsible for their own destiny. Oh, wow. Hmm. And that was a missionary on the field. Mm. 
Wow. So sometimes I feel like people have blind spots that they don't realize that give them a certain perspective. And, and when you're working and you're operating with people with a certain perspective, then you don't realize the people can feel that. Mm. And I, I think what a lot of what people of color can do being added to the that being added to the field to be integrated into the missionary culture, we will be able to help with opening up those areas and blind spots that people have. And, and I do remember, I do remember talking to some people on the field before and saying, you know, I think we are overlooking some things. You know, we are received differently. You know, when I go, they see me differently from when you, you, are. I wonder if there's something we can do with that. Can we work together and figure out how to work this? Mm. But People did not want to see that. The acknowledgement of, you know, we're different, we're received differently. People didn't want to hear that. And it was almost a fear. And we can get into that another day. A fear of opening up something. They didn't want to open up. You know, why? Hmm. Why is it like that? That is very interesting because... First thing I think about is when people say, this goes back to that colorblind thing. And when people say, especially in the Christian community, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, but God made me with the melanin that he gave me because he wanted me to look this way. Mm -hmm. And he has a purpose for everything that he does. And it just blows my mind how people, they don't want to acknowledge that, wait a minute, if God made her this way, he made her this way for a reason. You know, what is it that I can glean from this? There, There is this rightness. Yeah, this rightness of whatever I say or think is right. And discounting what a person of color might be bringing to the table because they may see something you don't see. One is for me in certain situations, I'm going to be more sensitive. Exactly. And when I say sensitive, not as, Oh, my my, my feelings, but sensitive as in a sensing of something. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. You're right on target, on the spot there. Because, you know, we we know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. We can see, we see it when it's coming towards mm-hmm. us because we've experienced it. And I've had when missionaries were, I'm sorry, mission uh, people, local people in Africa would come to me to talk to me about the missionaries. Why? I'm just a visitor. Mm. I don't live there. Mm-hmm. Like I can do something about it, first of all. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I can do something about it. But why would they do that? That's the question. Why didn't they just go to that person? Why didn't they just go to those people? 
there was, and that was the point. There was a level of trust that I enjoyed that they did not. Mm-hmm. And not that that's, I can't say that they did anything, they, they were doing anything wrong on purpose or, or anything, but for some reason, and you can't negate it, mm-hmm. you can't discount it, You've got to accept it. I think what we, what we will, how we will grow and how we will grow strong is just being real. Right. And loving each other really fully, you know, being, being courageous enough to go ahead and, 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 and accept certain realities. Yes. Face at face value, go and, and go and be willing to go deeper in order for us to be that one people that, that Jesus is talking about, being one as the God is one, as he is with the Father, we are to be with one another. Mm-hmm. That one, when he prays that we as Christians, now I'm talking about in the Christian community, I'm not talking about right. you know, this other unity. But we talk, Jesus actually died so that we could be one. Mm-hmm. And that's in Ephesians 2.12, I mean, 2, uh, 14. Mm-hmm. He breaks down the dividing wall of hostility, mm-hmm. abolishing, you know, all of that and becoming, making it so we can be reconciled. And reconciled people can now reconcile other people. Yes. That's the power. The power, and I really believe the power of the diversity, the power in diversity is going to be the thing that brings people to the cross. Hmm. I would agree with that. I, the, the thing for me is when people are um, reluctant, yeah. it makes me feel like they're not opening themselves to the spirit. Yeah. The, the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit it does not work in a way of division. The Holy Spirit works in the way of unification. Mm-hmm. And so if a, if a person is reluctant to listen to you or, or think about what you're seeing, because it all comes back to historical basis. What has yeah. happened in the past always affects the future, always. And it's yeah. what are you going to do with the future that you've been handed. Like mm-hmm. how are you in your present time going to affect the next generation in the true love and unity of Christ? Because there's, I have heard people say, oh, well, you know, I, I love you. And it's a surface love. It's not, mm-hmm. and to me, it's not, a, it's not a God love. It's a human love to the, to the capacity in which I can love you. Mm-hmm. We are to love past our capacity. You know, we're to love the type of love that's through the Holy Spirit, where you just yeah. have but love. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so anyway, that's what I gather from that. It's just very uh, interesting because you did. You told me a story about this other guy. It was a missionary and he had been there for many years and the people knew him. But then when they wanted to talk to someone, the man said that they wanted to talk to you. You told me yeah. that. Tell, tell yeah. that story. 
Yeah, I have a good friend and they've become really good friends of mine who have been working on the field for over 30 years. Mm. And they, at the time, had been there for 25 years Mm -hmm. and worked, learned the language, learned the culture. His family, I mean, had their babies there. Their kids, they're white. Their children, even though they're white, they were born in Africa. So they have more connection with the culture in Africa than I do. Okay. So we go to a village way out, pretty remote. And the we're with our missionary friend and we're in a, a hut and we're sitting out and around and he's talking to a local Fulani person. And this person tells him he wants to talk to me. And so he motions to get me to come over. And so I start talking to him. And of course, I don't know the language. Mm. My friend, John, has been there for a long time. And, And so he knows the language. And so he's now having to translate this to me. And here's what he's having to translate. And this is verbatim best to my my memory is we need you to bring more black people. Mm. We like John, but we are afraid you're more like family. Oh my goodness. Now he said family. Now I'm going to tell you, I, that he said verbatim Mm. afraid So I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is crazy. A fear? What does that mean? And for a while, I didn't say anything to my friend. I said, and then went back another time and I said, you know, this has really been bothering me. How you translated, then this is what you said. And it's possible that, you know, when you have to translate real quickly and all that, you can mistranslate words, or maybe they had a different meaning. Mm. And so when I said that to him, he said, no, the word I meant was fear. And fear is the right word. Wow. And I thought, so you mean to tell me that these people are afraid of you? And the other side to that is, you know Mm. these people are afraid of you. So if that's the case, and this person is a very loving person, very respectful of the culture. I mean, he's very knowledgeable of the people. And again, very people like him there. And this is in a Muslim context. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so all of these people, I would say if something was to jump off there, people would try to hide it. I mean, that would be the kind of love that, you know, or respect that people have for him. But for some reason, they are fearful of him. And now, what does that mean? That's what I was wondering. Yeah. How do, how then... When if you are a worker 
a Christian worker in that context, how do you behave? Mm. Now, mind you, I recognize we are human. We would love to say, I would never use that to my advantage. Now, I would, I would love to, and that, that's the best, that's, that's thinking the best of people. Mm-hmm. And I like to do that. But even at my best, it would be a struggle when I can, when I can advance something or advance my will, or if I can get a better deal on some, or if I could do, you know, because I, I, quite frankly, I could go there and then I would also have a dip, enjoy a different level. Because remember, I talked to you about the, the fact that they, I enjoyed a different level of trust. Mm-hmm. So do you think it was more, they don't trust him than they are scared? Like at any moment, things could change. Okay, so here's a here's a here's a, a an example. So as we, this is what that fear looks like. My husband and I were <clears throat> with my friend uh, in a vehicle, and we're driving through traffic, and we get to uh, we get to a place where there was a standstill. It was a traffic jam, and so we. We couldn't go any further and we were needing to get to a place by a specific time because we, we were on a schedule. Mm-hmm. So we decided to get out of the car. It's kind of raining outside. And we decided to get out of the car and walk to around the block to another. We were in a taxi. Bus. So we decided to get out of that vehicle, go around the block where the traffic wasn't jammed to get another one. So now, mind you, traffic is crazy. It's not like in the U.S. where the, there's lights and people follow all the rules and there's, you know, there's one way and this. I mean, there's some some order, but not much. OK. And and y- you walk through the tra- you can't just. I wish I would have started somewhere else in the story. OK. Because because previously, let me stop right there. Let me go right to another point of view to show my perspective here. Okay, I have another friend who is of color who works in that same area, Mm -hmm. right? And I've walked through the traffic with her, had to cross the street, and I felt like I was in some sort of movie where, what do you call the high high, uh, thriller movie where you, you know, (laughs) You're, you can't cross the street. I was Jack Bauer trying to cross the street. You got to hurry up and run across the street real quick because you're going to get killed if you don't. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, that was the type of, you know, if you are a regular person trying to cross the street, then that would uh, be the situation. But so now that's the context of what the traffic's like. So now we we're in the middle of traffic. And my husband and I are standing on the side of the road because we respect the kind of traffic that's in this area. Now, my my white friend, John, has now walked out in the middle of traffic to get a taxi. Mm -hmm. And he says to us, come on. (laughs) And we're like, oh, no, we know better. They run over each other. <laughs> you know, they know how they know they don't walk in between the traffic here. Not this traffic. 
you know, he's like, come on. We're like, oh no, you have to tell him to come over here. So, but the whole point of that is he knew that he could walk out in the middle of the street and nobody was going to hit a white man. Wow. Now, I know that sounds like a long story to get to that point, but I felt like I needed to give you the idea of the, mm-hmm. you know, what it was like. But he knew that he could walk out in the middle of the street. So there are certain privileges mm-hmm. that you can enjoy just knowing that. Mm-hmm. And so, well, that was no, I would not say there's no judgment attached to that right. act or there was nothing wrong with what he did. Right. It was just different. Mm-hmm. And we walk through that differently. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Wow. Yeah. So even when, you know, when people want to say, mm, it might be that it should not matter. Your color should not, your ethnicity should not matter. But come on. But it does. Let's let's be let's let's look at things realistically, not how we would ideally think what we think the ideal would be. Because it's possible, because like I said, I told you I enjoyed something that he didn't enjoy. He gets to enjoy something that I don't get to enjoy. Right. But is that not okay? Is that not that's the reality? Mm-hmm. Can we accept that reality and, and work with it now? That is very interesting. I was just thinking about that. So yeah, he he enjoys a privilege you don't, and then you enjoy a level of trust that he doesn't. And so if you would combine the two, it seemed as though you would get very far <laughs> in your mission. <laughs> you know, like you combine the, the two forces. Yeah, and- absolutely. Because we're yeah. supposed, that is what bringing us all to the table looks like. Yes. Yeah. That, I mean, that would, would, can we imagine? And I think that's what, God, when he, when he's reconciled us together, when he calls us to be one, he gifts us in different areas. He clothed us with different kind of skin and hair, different, so for different purposes. But I think, and again, I believe that through, there is such power in the divert, the, what I would call biblical diversity. Mm-hmm in the body of Christ. There's such power in it. Jesus prays about it. Mm. You know, Paul talks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we And if you use the word, oh, oh my goodness, if you use the word in evangelical settings, if you use the word diversity, it's almost like you just said a bad word or something because right. you know, there's, you know. Are you talking about diversity? You go have all kinds of people coming after you because it, it tri- it's triggering now these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it was God who's, who did that thing. It did it. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, I mean, table. well, the eight people that got off the boat obviously were diverse. Thank you. Yes. And when I say the boat, I'm talking about Noah's boat. Black-owned business shout-out is back. And today's shout-out goes to Aim to Please You Event Design and Gifts, LLC. 
Owner, Vamanisha Newman says, she's your one-stop shop for custom design for any occasion. Vamanisha can add a personal touch to your special gift. And if you just have an idea, allow her to use her unique expression of your vision to make your special day unforgettable. Vamanisha made my podcast, mugs and stickers, using my logo, and I love them. As a matter of fact, loyal listener, we'll receive a giveaway box. To participate in the giveaway, follow my Instagram at Rebrina Rettle. Tell me your favorite episode and tag two friends. The giveaway is only open to listeners in the U.S., but if you're an international listener, I haven't forgotten about you. Stay tuned to future episodes because I'm going to do something special for you, too. You can find Aim to Please You Event Designs and Gifts, spelled A-I-M, the number two, P-L-Z, and the letter U. Aim to Please You. You can find Facebook, and the link will be in the show notes. I also wanted to find out, okay, so from your experiences when you went on missions trips to Africa, is how did you decide to start your own organization to kind of further what you have learned? I, I will have to say this. I reluctantly started a mission. And it, had I not had an advisory council, mm-hmm. I would not be talking to you as part of 1040 Africa Missions. Mm-hmm. Um, what what ha- I had been working with an organization for 20 years, and it just became a difficult thing to do because it was a small ministry, and then there was a lot of local things that they were wanting to do, and they wanted to pull me into some of that local stuff. And I knew that God, God had called me to do international missions mm-hmm. to Africa. I I feel very strongly. I know that burden's there. And I've felt that since I was 10. And so, so I, when I left that organization, my advisory council that I had set up probably six months prior to that, not thinking that I would be leaving the other organization, those people said, you know, what are you going to do? They gave me a whole month to decide what I was going to do, find another agency that was kind of doing the same thing. So I did. I looked around. I was trying to figure out how would I do this? Would I raise my own support? Would I go? You know, how would I do this? And then we had our board meeting, our advisory council meeting, and that ended up being our first board meeting. They said to me, you know what? You just need to start a new ministry. There's nobody else doing that. Now, and so that's the beginning of 1040 AM. So from there, there has been some other agency. There's a, I don't know if you heard of NAMAC. It's the National African American, it was Missions Conference. Hmm. But they have now started being a ministry all year long to mobilize people of color into missions. Mm -hmm. So they have some resources, or at least they're gathering together to get that. That started also 
in 2020. I started my ministry in 2020, March of 2020, and they started that in 2020. And so I'm not, while I have been going to their missions conferences yearly, I I have not actually connected, how would I say that, connected directly with them, even though I, you know, we, we see, I see the spokesperson or the, I don't know, piece that I don't know what this position is now in all of the circles that I'm talking in and in different circuits, but we see each other in passing. We know each other. We just have not made a real connection yet. Mm-hmm. But my focus is in, like I said, the 1040 Africa. Uh, and a lot of people don't know what, when you say 1040, 1040 is the is in is the 1040 window and and that represents an area of the world that has the least amount of gospel witness. It also it houses the most people in the world and the the poorest people in the world. Now that's not saying there are not pockets in other places but that has the most. And so when we're talking about mobilizing people to finish the great commission in the world, a lot of the focus I feel should go towards that in that area. And since God made me and with the experiences that I've had in my life and he gave me this hair and this skin, I figure, you know, the best place, the best use of this vessel, this temple, would do set it up, be to set it up in that area. And so that's the that's the reason why we I started 1040 Africa is to while just focus we there was such a need for the Christian witness to be clothed in some brown skin, mm. some skin other than white, because of the because of the baggage that comes with the slave trade, with colonization. And those kinds of things, it needed to come with some extra, uh, with, you know, and it, it requires extra effort mm-hmm. to uh, mobilize people of color. Mm-hmm. And, for, and for me, it takes even extra, extra effort for, to mobilize more Black people mm-hmm. for missions. Well, you know, I, one of the things that I noticed or realized, and even in myself, is for me, it's like, well, one, where I came from, the church that I came from, being a missionary is kind of like a celebrity status. And so you don't feel like you're good enough, you know, or like, I couldn't do that. I'm, you know, I'm not, my walk isn't strong enough or whatever. <clears throat> and uh, that was one aspect. The other aspect was there's work to be done here and for people here. And even though some people say, but people here, everyone's heard the name of Jesus, but just because you've heard the name doesn't mean you know Jesus. There's a difference to me. Yeah. And so anyway, that, that's another way that I had seen it. But then in our, we were having a conversation kind of about that. And you were talking about, there's a difference between mission, the mission field and evangelism. So break that down a little bit on how you yeah. Well, I'd like to even go even further in the area of there's a difference between lost. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between lost and unreached. Right. 
And so we'll, we'll start, I can, I guess I could go ahead and start with this whole idea of missions being local. Well, the whole idea, the whole purpose of the church, if you want to call missions that, the whole mission of the church, period, is not to sing songs and have the other little fellowships. And so that, that's not the mission. That, that stuff happens while you're on mission. Mm. So if we want to even look at it from that point of view, which most people that are missiologists or people, they would not consider the local stuff missions just because that's the whole reason. That should be just the normal operations of church. Right. The whole reason why we exist is to share the gospel with our neighbor. Mm. And if we're not doing that, then close your church down. Mm. Go home. Mm-hmm. I mean, or just say I'm going to have a party. Or don't call yourself the church, though. Because the whole purpose of the church, he left us down here to, because at the end of the day, you know, he, if you become a believer, once you become a believer, they baptize you. I'm ba- I grew up Baptist, so okay, mm-hmm. they put you under the water. They might as well just hold you under, right? Because, mm. you know, you go straight to heaven. Mm. You are, you're the best you're going to ever be when you're down under. But they raise you up for a reason. Mm. Newness of life. Mm-hmm. And that life is, we are ministers of reconciliation. Mm. And we, we're supposed to be bringing other people in. So that's the whole reason, purpose for the church. Yeah, reconciling with God and each other. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And, and when he, when asked, Jesus himself was asked, what, what is the most important commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. He couldn't leave it alone. He said the next is connected to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. Well, who's my neighbor? We're looking for the loophole. Mm. We're looking for the loophole now. Mm-hmm. Who's my neighbor? Well, my neighbor is this other guy you don't even like. Because, you know, as a matter of fact, if you were to give him the chance, you would walk all the way around where he lives. Mm-hmm. The Samaritan. Right. He's your neighbor. I tell my kids, yeah. say they were on mission in school. I said, whoever you sit next to. That's right. <laughs> you mm-hmm. on mission. In your choir mm-hmm. class, you on mission. At the lunch, well, you on mission. When I'm in yeah. line at Walmart, I'm on mission. You know what I mean? When I'm talking yeah. to the person checking me out, I'm on mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Remembering your purpose for being here. So that's one, one definition of mission. But uh, a lot of, again, some people would say that's not considered mission, but, but it is to, to some degree. It's one, it's one definition of mission. Mm-hmm. But when we look at it in Christian circles, the idea of mission is leaving your own culture because, you know, leaving your culture, going to another culture, that's uh, different, you, you know. So a lot of times that means leaving. And, and when, when the Black church says, we got stuff here, we just need, we're talking about mission, working with our own people. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about going across town and reaching, you know, the Burmese Mm-hmm. that are refugees that are in our city now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about 
feeding those people that are in our communities. We're talking about a lot of it is some civil rights things as well. And I think to some degree, when we get in some, and and I try to be careful when we get into talking about civil rights and and you you might... (laughs) Because it can it can consume, and then I won't be doing. I it can easily become my mission mm-hmm. instead of your primary mission. Instead of the primary mission is people need to know Jesus. So, people who have not heard. Yeah, one of the things I understand about missionaries is they love practically also. So loving practically can mean okay, this village doesn't have water. We're going to build a water well. They need a school. We're going to build a school. Uh, they need teachers. We're going to have teachers come and teach at that school. These children need mm-hmm. clothing. We're going to clothe them. Yeah. That's uh, loving practically. And then it's yes. in some instances where you just talked about the uh, civil rights of it. Mm-hmm. That is also loving practically. Yes. A person can't get to equitable health care or education or other you know, just mm-hmm. regular things of life. Uh, love that's loving practically, helping them in, yeah. not just materialistically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think too. It, it matters who you're appealing to mm-hmm. when you for those things. Are you appealing to say the government for that thing? Are you appealing to the people of God for that? Mm-hmm. Who's supposed to do that? Whose place is it to do that in this world? And it's us. It's believers in Jesus. That's who's supposed to be doing that. He says, let your light so shine it that they'll see your good works and glorify the God, Father in heaven. So all Christians should be about trying to help those who are struggling and doing that as a way of sharing the love of Christ so that that is fully understood, that God loves them, mm-hmm. all of them. He loves their, he loves them where they are. And, and you can't even speak to anybody unless they feel like you care about them. Right. What do you have to say? I think I, I heard you say one time that I can't even hear that person talk to me right? because of what I know. How, how can you even get through to me? Like my ears are closed. And when you and I went through that, we've been through a few trainings through American Bible Society, their Trauma Healing Institute. And the remarkable thing to me about that teaching is that it started in Africa. And it started because the pastors in Africa said our people are so traumatized that they can't even hear Mm-hmm. Like it is like they can't, they can't even open their ears to it. So mm-hmm. like, this is something we have to address first and how yes. that whole curriculum, the whole thing was created there in particular for that, the struggles of the peoples and mm-hmm. then it moved globally. So I just thought yeah. that was pretty amazing. And that they even said that, that there's a hindrance here, you know, there's yeah. a hindrance here to even hear it because of all the pain that they had experienced, we have to address that. And then it opens the door can do through that pain. Yeah. Yeah. So your, so what does your organization do as far as when you get ready to go on the trip? So you prepare uh, people to go or do they 
you mentioned the class that you had went through. Do you offer a class like that or do you set it up so that they can attend a class when you went through the semester? Oh, the perspectives. I am just one of a whole bunch of instructors. And this class is given all over the world. Mm-hmm. So, How do they prepare to go on a missions trip? We do some training. Right now, I'm still developing the, the training, what we're doing. But right now, because 2020, we were supposed to travel. We did, weren't able to travel. And it looks like it's going to be similar to that this year. But what we're doing now is we are establishing a lot of the groundwork on what the training looks like and all of that. So uh, right now we have a group of people that are going through the trauma healing. Mm-hmm. So when we go, we want to make sure that we have people who are trained and certified to already know how to do that and be ready to go when we hit the ground. Mm-hmm. And they will be solid, so solid that when they have to have to throw a translator in there in the mix, they're going to be all right, mm-hmm. you know? So, so we, we're training people with the trauma healing. We're also training mobilizers, mm-hmm. people to go out and do awareness campaigns, educating other Christian. Mostly we're focusing on Black churches where, where there needs to be some just education mm-hmm. on mis- what missions is, mm-hmm. what missions may not be. And how they can be involved and in what levels they can be involved. Mm -hmm. So the mobilization, so we'll have a mobilization team. We're working on that right now. So they are being, right now we're training the mobilizers. So this whole year of 2021 is focusing on making sure that foundation is set. People are certified to do the work that we're going to be doing. And uh, we will have people not part of the mobilization also is helping people in the churches to be what we call world Christians. Mm. Mm -hmm. This whole idea of just me and my little neighborhood or me and my family or me and my 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 group or, you know, Acts 1, 8 says he promises is a promise. It says, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit, and you will be witnesses into witnesses of me into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So that's like, you shall. Mm. And Matthew 28 says, and go and make disciples, and I will be with you. So he says, he's going to give you the power to do it. You will do it, and I will be with you. So what happens when you uh, don't do it? Mm. You're in a level of dysfunction. We've got so many churches that are just dying because we're just bored. Mm. We're bored and, and people are looking at it going, you know what? I can do this out here. As a matter of fact, they do this a lot better than you. Mm. You know, this, this entertaining thing. Mm. The world can do that much better than the church. I'm just going to tell you, because we're not made to entertain. I was going to say, that's not what we're, we're not called to do that. We don't need smoke and lights and all that good stuff. That's, that, that's not why we're there anyway. We've been empowered to, yeah, we've been empowered to do one thing in particular. And we were taking this gospel 
to the world. And so that's our, to those who, and if there are people who still haven't heard, we can't keep going to the same places where people have already heard mm. and just redoing the easy stuff. We weren't made for easy. Let's do that thing we were called to do. That's when you gain the respect of people. That's when you gain somebody's looking at you going, wait a minute. I think I might want to be a part of that because that's a big thing there. Mm -hmm. They're trying to do that's kind of that's mighty bold. Yeah. So I think what we're wanting, what the the point of 1040 a.m. is to in the mobilization piece, we're wanting to show the opportunity and give opportunities for people and then set a channel for them to even uh, connect with some of the agencies that are really looking for people of color to be a part of their, they are looking for diversity now. That's, that's the new word now. And then there are some fundamentalist people who are just kind of like, I don't know, that's part of wokeness. I'm not having nothing to do with that. But the honest truth about this is diversity is where God's heart is. Because mm. you see it in, in Revelation 7, 9, where he says that he looked, this is John talking, he looked and he sees all these people from every, every tribe, nation, and tongue standing before the Lord and before the Lamb with white robes and palm branches in their hands. That, that's, he said, every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. So that's, that's what God's heart is for. And if, if our heart is not lined up with God's heart, then whose heart are we lined up with? Then who, whose name should we be touting? Should it be Christ's name? Because we say we do things in his name, but are we doing things in his name? Mm. We can just add in Jesus' name, amen, to our prayer. <laughs> or well, we just say we're doing this in Jesus' name. He's already told us where he, want his, where he wants his name. Yeah, you know, I looked on your uh, Facebook page too and I saw you uh, posted a video of uh, this guy who's in Africa. He talked about, other people who were missionaries who were from mostly North Africa and part of the Berber area. And they were, some of them were in the time of the Roman Empire. And one was Cyprian, Bishop of Carthage. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, this is whole. this is even combating that whole idea of Christianity being the white man's religion. Right. Starting from early on, well, we can start at Philip, right? The Ethiopian eunuch. Do you know that Ethiopia was the second country to become Christian? Huh. That's Africa, by the way. Mm-hmm. So then, so then, uh, so how it became the white man's religion, I'm not quite sure because it hadn't even been in Europe yet. Right. That's what I found that, fascinating. I was like, oh, huh, that's really interesting. And then yeah. all the other people that he had named too. And yeah, and all of the people in the at the Council of Nicaea, right? Uh, people, when we're starting to develop what what true 
theology is, all of the doctrinal issues. It was people of color who brought those that to the table in the room. Mm-hmm. Again, how it became white. I think part of the problem has been that we've got pictures of everywhere we go. We see when we see these, even if we see these names, we're going to have a picture of some the people who told the story about it, who happened to be white, have the, the people are going to look like them, mm-hmm. you know, and I can't say that was purposely done. Because I think, you know, we tend to do that when we talk about people. If you don't have a picture, because that was before photography. Yeah, you know, about Pentecost too, like Acts 2, 5 through 11. And they talk about now now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Uh, Parthians, uh, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, sorry on the pronunciation, Pamphylia, Mm -hmm. Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and Proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's right there at the setup of the church. Mm-hmm. This is the setup of, of the church. Yeah. So it's always been diverse. Mm-hmm. Exactly. When the gospel was being shared, it was being shared in all those different languages because that was the audience at the time who had come. I I think what we want to show is that a picture like that, when we share in the gospel with others, we want people to know it's for them. That's what God did when he gave them all those languages. Mm -hmm. So this is for you too. So what do you do when you get there? Well, part of what we do is the trauma healing. We have trauma healing groups because a lot of that is a big need in those areas. Also, English as a second language or England, uh, English as a foreign language. Sometimes they call it that because it's more than they, they will speak more than more than two languages. And sometimes marriage counseling, or marriage seminars, things that are transferable because there are things that are needed. We sometimes the, we work with the missionaries themselves. We help enrich them. Mm-hmm. and help refresh them and encourage them. But other times we help them with the ministry that they do. It may depend on what they are doing and they may ask us, can you help us in this area? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then we also have uh, virtual, we call virtual opportunities. 2020 opened up a wonderful world of virtual ability. And so what we're doing also is we have A host missionary on the field will have people who are of different religions will come using uh, the African-American connection Mm -hmm. for that. So we call this a cultural exchange. Mm -hmm. This kind of helps break down that idea. We can be now the, the black 
friends of our white missionary mm-hmm. that helps them understand that no, there are black Christians, mm-hmm. even though I know this missionary is white, but the questions that are asked, mm-hmm. they're already pre-written questions. Mm-hmm. Questions are, you know, what is your what's your name? What do you do for a living? What kind of place do you live? Do you live in an urban area? Do you live in a rural area? What is your religion? How did you become that? These are questions we set up because these are just really get to know you questions. So we ask them and we answer them. We all answer the same questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They get the questions ahead of time. And this is what we call a cultural exchange. Mm-hmm. What, what tends to happen, though, is that they realize that one, more than one person goes, or maybe two people go, and they're like, wait a minute. When that question about religion, they'll say, wait, I just realized that you said that you decided to be a Christian. So it sounds like your parents gave you the freedom to make the choice. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't choose some of them. Born into the family. Yeah, they're born into it. Mm -hmm. Then they realize that, wait a minute. You mean all of these people in this group were their their parents told them? That means that the white person didn't tell them. Somebody Mm -hmm. in their family told them about Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, or they had a church and the people in that church were were black, too. Mm -hmm. So then that breaks down that whole idea of this is a white thing. It's not a white thing. All these people, you see all these people, they black. Interesting. And then the other piece of that was, I remember I said to one of them, you know, the reason why we want to talk to you is because our people have come from here. We don't know where, but our people came from Africa. We will never forget Africa. Mm. We will always have Africa in our name. Mm. Say African-American. That's the reason we don't want to ever forget Mm. where our people came from. And they might be yours. Mm. Wow. That was what the response was from the lady who was doing our translation because she was uh, from Mali originally. She wasn't in her home country, but she was in a different country. And she was like, whoa, wow. Wow. That's good. <laughs> you know, so it felt, it felt some kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long do you all usually stay? We generally, because we are mobilizing, we only, st- we stay for two weeks. Okay. I don't usually take people for under that. God may change my mind. It might seem like a longer time, but when you're traveling that far, it does something to your body your body clock, when you go over five uh, hours ahead and back. And a lot of people don't consider that, but it it is a thing. It could stress your body. So to do it in a short period of time is what I'm trying to say. Mm. It takes a a while for you. Some people will say, oh, why don't you just go for a week? I mean, it it may take you maybe three days to catch up to your time. And then it's about time for you to start thinking about going back. Now, if you're going five days, now you finally got up to your uh, level of, okay, I feel good now. 
I got two days of work to do <laughs> and to be at my optimum. When you go, you, you already have this level of uncertainty. You're not on, you're not settled anyway because you got, you're not, you don't know the language. The culture is different. The uh, environment's different. The food is different. Everything around you is different. So the reason why I like to go ahead and do it for the two weeks, so we can allot for the time of getting there, recovering and being at a good optimal ability, and then being able to not do too much. When you come back, you have a little time to. A little decompression time. Yeah. Oh, well, this has been a very enlightening conversation for me. Yeah. I want to thank you for uh, joining us and talking to us about this. For those of you, the listeners, who may be interested, I'll put in the show notes how you can connect with Rhonda and her missionary organization, 1040 Africa. Also, her website and anyone who would like to support her organization and her mission work, feel free to donate on her website. Is that correct? Can I go to the website and donate? Yes. When you write it out, it looks like the time. That's what it looks like. 1040 the time. <laughs> yes. It's 1040 AM. Yeah. It's time to go. And get up. Right. <laughs> get up and go. Yes. All right, Rhonda. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, talking to me about this. Uh, it's kind of amazing that it, you, I didn't realize that you just started last year, especially during the pandemic. It's like the Lord gave you time to, to set it up so that mm -hmm. it, it is time to go. You're mm -hmm. ready. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That, that, has been a, that has been the gift of 2020 for me. Rhonda, that's fire. I appreciate what Rhonda and 1040 AM, 1040 Africa, is doing to provide more diversity in the mission field. Again, to participate in the giveaway, follow my Instagram at Fabrina Rettle. Tell me your favorite episode and tag two friends. Don't forget to give Grit, Getting Real, a five-star rating. Follow and share so others can find me. Getting Real Immersed in Truth podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, Robrina Rettel. Original music by composer Michael Coffey of Handcrafted Studios. Connect with me on Instagram at Robrina Rettel and check out my website, RobrinaRettel.com. Check out my other podcasts on Life Audio. Mama Take Heart, Understanding Your Gen Z Girl. It's designed to help mama be the compassionate, gospel-centered, and influential voice in her girl's life. Until next time, my treasured friends, keep your head up when getting real while immersed in truth.